0: Rockefeller Center. Good for skyscrapers. Bad for pine trees. Around this time every year, some poor pine tree, whose only crime was growing to between 70 to 100 feet, gets chopped down and dragged into Manhattan to be put on display in Rockefeller Center. It is a savage ritual. The tree is crapped up with several miles of Christmas lights, topped with a gaudy 500-pound star, and lit up until the new year. Then, on Epiphany Day, heathens, ask your Christian friends, like your super-Christian friends, this is an obscure one, the tree is disposed of to little to no fanfare. Eleven months later, the process begins anew. Moment of silence for our deceased wooden brothers. But we're not here to talk about the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. Sorry, tree. We're here to talk about the history of Rockefeller Center. Rockefeller Center is a group of Art Deco-style buildings between 48th and 51st Street in Manhattan. They were built in the 1930s in the midst of the Great Depression. Along with the Empire State Building and the Chrysler Building. Weird. Apparently economic downturns are good for skyscrapers? There's an attack ad in there somewhere. The beginnings of Rockefeller Center can be traced back to Columbia University in the early 1800s, when it was technically still called Columbia College. At the time, Columbia was broke. After asking New York State for some money, the state government was all, We don't got no money for you smarty-pantses, but have a few acres of land that nobody wants. So Columbia inherited a chunk of land around 50th Street, which, again, technically didn't exist yet. We'll get there. For years, Columbia didn't do a damn thing with their new property— Their existing campus was downtown, everything above canal was mostly forest and farmland, and it was impossible to find a taxi willing to take you that far uptown, especially when you were drunk on a Friday night. By 1838, though, things had changed dramatically. The grid had made its way north, and suddenly Columbia's upper estate, as it was known back then, didn't seem so far away, just a few of these newfangled blocks away. Suddenly, everybody wanted a piece of Columbia's pie. First up, the Catholics. They wanted a church, as Catholics do. So Columbia sold a chunk of the upper estate which would become St. Patrick's Cathedral. Nice name. Next up, uh, other people. Basically, brownstones started popping up everywhere. This continued until the 1920s. Now we're getting somewhere. By the late 1920s, Columbia's upper estate was not looking great. The area had turned into a collection of speakeasies, brothels, and shoe repair shops. And you know what they say about speakeasies, brothels, and shoe repair shops. They're no good. Full of people drinking, sexing, and shining shoes. Not necessarily in that order. Fortunately, since Columbia still owned all the land, it was easy for one guy, one, like, really rich guy, one really, really, really rich guy, to buy all the land in one fell swoop. Enter Bill Gates. I mean, John D. Rockefeller Jr. Mm, Same idea. JDRJ, being the keen businessman that he was, saw an opportunity. Rockefeller made Columbia an offer for the land, they took it, and he started tearing down brownstones. With his bare hands. (sighs) Okay, not really. He had his people do that. Immigrant laborers. Irishmen, mostly. The Mexicans of the 1930s, if you will. It's okay, I'm Irish, I can say that. The tearing down and subsequent excavation of the property began in 1930 and took nearly three years to complete. Half a million cubic yards of rock were hauled out of the area. I don't know what that converts to in any sort of normal unit of measure, but a good chunk of the rock was used to create the Great Lawn in Central Park, and if you've ever seen the Great Lawn, it's a pretty great lawn. Fun Rockefeller fact, one of the original buildings from the Roaring Twenties is still around today. 1240 Avenue of the Americas, currently home to Magnolia Cupcakes. I'm sure the hookers would be proud. With the tearing down complete, construction could begin on what would be the centerpiece of the new property. A lavish opera house for the Metropolitan Opera. Emphasis on the could begin. So, unlike the Great Lawn, the Great Depression? Not so great. And the opera? Kind of expensive and not a big hit during a recession. With that in mind, the opera house was nixed in favor of more plebeian fare. Less operas, more vaudeville. The rest of Radio City, as it was known in those early days, moved forward as planned. In the middle of it all, the RCA building rose up, towering above its shorter siblings. The building, later simply known by its address, 30 Rockefeller Center, 30 Rock for short, would house dozens of broadcasting studios for both radio and something new called television. Television? Am I spelling that right? It was a thing for a little while, I guess. Sort of like YouTube, but with more commercials? Fun Rockefeller fact, the iconic photograph of construction dudes eating lunch, the aptly named Lunch Atop a Skyscraper, was taken on the 69th floor of 30 Rock during construction. Funner Rockefeller fact, if your last name is Rafferty... One of the ten men in that photograph has been identified as Francis Michael Rafferty, who, chances are, I am probably related to in some way. So I should probably get over my fear of heights. By 1939, construction on Rockefeller Center was finished. The transformation from woods to neighborhood to Art Deco Skyscraperville was complete. That only took a century. Today, 80 absurdly large Christmas trees later, the neighborhood remains largely unchanged from its 1930s self. Sure, there's more tourists and fewer radio broadcasts, but it's still chock-full of Art deco goodness. What will the next transformation be? Hard to say. I've got my fingers crossed for the return of the speakeasy brothel shoe repair trifecta, though.